Hello, welcome to Sharpest Knives episode 8 with Andres Arteaga. We are in the final stretch of the first season of Sharpest Knives podcast, and this is episode 8 out of 10. Um, I'm really excited for you folks to hear these last three episodes. I think they really round out this inaugural season. This episode is with my fellow MFA cohort member and friend, Andres. Andres is the Director of Equity and Inclusion at Villa Academy, which is a private independent Catholic school in Seattle. And most of his work, um, most of the work he does is with middle schoolers there. So we talk about the importance of demonstrating to young people what a, what a Latino leader looks like, using the arts as a social justice tool, and what work-life balance looks like in diversity, equity, and inclusion work as a person of color. So we, we cover a lot, we go deep, um, we also had a good time and had lots of laughs. So I hope you like our episode together. One last plug before we get into the episode. And um, if you are listening to this in November, podcast guest Alice Ghosty's newest work opens at ACT Lab this weekend in Seattle and runs from November 1st to 17th. Um, it is called Birds of Passage, Where is Home? And the three-hour durational performance explores Alice's identity as an Italian-American immigrant and how it relates to the larger context of Italian immigration in the United States. So I'm, I will definitely go, and I hope to see you there. So without any more stalling, here is Sharpest Knives Podcast, Episode 8, with Andres Arteaga. Hello and welcome to Sharpest Knives. I'm Maris Antolin and I'm here today with Andres Arteaga. Andres is a MFA, was has an MFA. <laughs> he was born and raised in Los Angeles and attended Seattle University for both undergrad and graduate studies. He was a Jesuit from 2012 to 2015, where he taught art and social justice while studying philosophy, dance, and Latino studies. Andres is currently the Director of Equity, Education, and Inclusion, as well as the middle school religion teacher at Villa Academy K-8 through in Seattle. Andres, welcome to my show! Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so getting right into it, um, you're... Because I know you personally, I know there's like so much more to you outside of your professional bio. Yes. So I'm wondering um, what what's left out of this bio that you feel is important to the work that you're doing. I think an important aspect that I left out because it's too clunky to add into a little bio um, is the fact that I come from uh, an immigrant family. They're from Mexico and I am first generation here in the U.S. and I grew up in a predominantly Latino immigrant community, mm -hmm. uh, uh, low income and section eight housing, you know, so it was that kind of a life growing up, um, which is very different from the cultural norm. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't want to use that word, but the norm of what it means to be in the U S um, my experience was very different. And it wasn't until I came to Seattle that I realized how different my experience was. So that, that fact of me being a first generation 
Spanish speaking first language in an environment where everything's in Spanish really influenced who I was. And then as I saw the injustices that my own people faced away from these sort of silos of community, uh, it inspired me to go into social justice work and to really embrace my identity as a Latino. Amazing. That's, I think, I mean, I can see how that might be a little clunky, but I feel, I mean, obviously that's important. Um, so, so you studied dance, you're a dancer, you studied Latino studies, philosophy, and now, um, you got your MFA in arts leadership at Seattle U and now you have this inclusion and equity position. Yes. At Villa, as well as the religion thing. So you're yeah. doing, you do a lot. Everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering what, where you see the connections yeah. between those things. Yeah, it was hard to see it at first uh, when I was studying all these things independently. Uh, I was like, how am I going to succeed in life with an English degree and then going into the arts and then going into all, uh, Latino studies? It's like, I never got that business degree that, you know, my family yeah. expected or would become a doctor and have a solid plan for life. Um, but everything just came together here at Villa. Uh, I think everything connects, especially at this school, because we're a Catholic school. And um, really, the way that we do social justice work is through that Catholic faith lens. So we have our diversity statement, uh, statement which is uh, faith-centered justice. Um, that's an aspect of that statement. And so when I'm here, I get to bring my Latino background, Latino studies. Uh, I also get to really, really impose that lens on the experience of other, of other marginalized communities um, and then bring that to the table for social justice work. And then in religion class, I get to bring that to the table with a faith lens. And then through dance, I get to explore those issues through the arts. So everything sort of like builds off of one each other and it all creates this one big monster, which is Catholic social justice arts education, uh, which is kind of the way we do things here. Um, just because of my time being here, that's how I've, I've come to do this work. So it connects and it, and it's a really unique way of doing this work that I didn't expect my independent studies in the past would end up leading into. So it's been a wonderful experience experiment actually yeah yeah (laughs) how it all comes together is really interesting Mm -hmm. i'm wondering um because it because villa is a it's a private school yeah independent private yeah and catholic um and i'm wondering how many students do you have are um have spanish as their first language Mm -hmm. not a lot actually this is a one thing that we're really working on is the diversity aspect the the physical differences that you can see um are not a lot and um there's there aren't a lot of kids with spanish as their first language um there's a there's predominantly a homogenous you know white student population uh but we are making strides and getting more students from different communities uh that's one thing i do uh, struggle with or miss sometimes is, uh, working with my Latino community is, you know, I'm here. So I don't, I don't get to bring my own experience as sort of this. And it, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like the success story or like that a Latino can become a leader and bring that to my community. Uh, but instead here, it's actually, I've come to see it as actually also important to show kids that there's a Latino leader in their community. Um, so that we are not just this, boxed in version of what a Latino is. Uh, and they see, they see a success story in that light as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't have a lot of Latino or Spanish speaking kids here. Uh, but 
we do have a Spanish program that most makes almost everybody almost a Spanish speaker as well. Yeah. So there's that little, you know, positive yeah. side. But yeah, we don't we have maybe like one or two kids in all the school that yeah. are that are Spanish speakers as first languages. Yeah. Yeah. So. I like that the I mean especially in elementary school, I didn't yeah. have kids whose first language was Spanish. Yeah. Not that many. Right. And right. so but having like a really good like uh, language and cultural program mm-hmm. was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah, we have more kids uh from Eritrea and Ethiopia here than we do from Latin America or that um speak Spanish. So there's there's this slow progressive change in mm-hmm. communities coming in who have English as a second language and that's one of our focuses this year is to better prepare our, our faculty to work with ELL mm-hmm. kids or I know there's a whole new word for <laughs> for ELL English. English language acquisition something like that ELL yeah. uh so it's a uh, it's it's a work in progress but we can see those the the, the progression yeah 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 that's great can you talk a little bit about how you came to be in your current position yeah. as the director of equity and equity education and inclusion? It's a lot. It's a lot to say. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> you can change a lot of those words. And, uh, well, I would say I started here at Villa right after I left the Jesuits. Uh, so I had a few months off to kind of figure out what I was doing. Again, I had mm-hmm. spent four years in the Jesuits and I had all these, splotches of here's Spanish, here's Latin American studies, here's dance. And, um, I came here, they hired me. Um, and I felt very fortunate uh, to be hired as their Spanish and religion teacher. And, um, that was just one year. And then after that, the director of the middle school came and said, you know, we have this new position. It's never been done before. Would you be interested in doing it? And I was like, no, I don't want to do it at all. (laughs) Uh, I was really nervous to do something that big and like something that's so in the spotlight and to become a, a changer of culture of culture is very, it's, it's scary and it's nerve wracking. And it was when I finally decided, all right, I'll try, I'll try to do it. I applied for the position and they hired me and I was in shock. Uh, (laughs) But the reason they hired me, they said is um, because of who we are as a Catholic school. I was the only person who said anything about Catholic faith and social justice. Um, And so that's why they wanted me in the position. And so I guess that's how the Jesuits helped me because that's their modus operandi is Catholic social justice. Um, So uh, I got it and it was a rough, uh, rough two years, I'd say to really come in here and say, no, that's actually not how we should be doing it. This is an act of racism. That's a microaggression. You need a cultural shift here and there. Um, and then, and then at the same time, bringing in the arts as a tool in a, in a school that predominantly values, you know, STEM, not steam. Uh, it's like, Ooh, how am I going to do this? So we had a lot of backlash and it was a, it was trial by fire. But I think more and more it's become part of our culture here and the climate has changed in our school and kids more and more embrace it. And I think the longer I'm here or that I've been here, this is my fourth, fourth year at Villa, third year after all, um, the students and their ability to talk about social justice is completely different um, than in the past. So I think like this year, which is my third year in the position, I've seen the kids be able to talk about social justice issues and to dialogue with each other more than last year and the year before that. Um, and I just feel so lucky that these kids are on board. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were they They can be tricky, but 
I think if they're on board, then the work moves forward. And, and sometimes the parent community is the trickiest. Um, yeah. But I think more and more we're getting families who understand that this is our value system and this is who we are. So yeah. long story short, to answer your question, yeah. <laughs> that's no, how I great. became the director. That's great. Yeah. Um, my next question is about, so you are a person of color. Yes. You're Latino. Mm -hmm. And you were asked by a primarily white community yeah. to do the, to like bear this labor right. of teaching a white yeah. community yeah. social justice work. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, how do you take care of yourself yeah. in doing that kind of work? Yeah, well, I think I haven't, which is like why I'm so. <laughs> My mind isn't where it used to be when I first started. I yeah. mean, I was I was more zen, and I think now I'm just more like ah, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, I think at first I didn't know how to take care of myself, um, and. I, I felt honored when I was asked because I was asked by my middle school director and he's a person of color. He's, he's black. Mm -hmm. So he's the one that hired me into the middle school. And even though I didn't have a teaching credential, you know, he trusted me and he used to be a director of diversity as well. So I was like, here's this person I look up to. Yeah. Um, if he, if he can do it, then I can do it, you know, kind of a thing. Totally. Whereas I think if it was a white person, asking me i wouldn't know what to do um but at least here i have a, a a leader of color that i can say i belong here just as much as anybody else because we are we are as valuable right. um so at first it was a bit tough but I, and i always went to james that's his name for advice you know mm -hmm. how did you do this and how did you succeed and he was just like you just gotta you gotta take care of yourself um and i didn't know how to do that and so it was, it was a rough couple of years. And I think my current relationship helped me in that I was able to develop a relationship away from Villa. I think my entire life was consumed by here in the MFA program Yeah, that when I met my partner, I was like, Oh, I have something exciting going on outside, <laughs> outside yeah. of work. Yeah. Um, and so he helped me to be like, life work balance you know here mm -hmm. we don't talk about this stuff but of course some of those things still come up you know dei totally. work is always ongoing yeah. but at least i could be like you don't have to value myself my relationships as much as if not more than my job uh so so that's what's helped me i think also uh meditation a little bit has been helpful here and there though i haven't mm -hmm. done such a good job <laughs> of keeping up um uh, and then I think just uh, looking at the work differently. I think when I started, I was going into it with uh, with the mentality of attack. You know, like here's these group of people who are saying racist things and or I would receive emails about like, who does he think he is? You know, those kinds of a thing, mm -hmm. things that like make you feel down. So then I would go on the defense, you know, like, yeah. oh, just because you think that, you know, um, and so that didn't always go over well. And so I think that for me, the, the attack and anger and frustration that can come from this work, um, from being in it so much and being a person of color, uh, it wasn't working for me. It was, it was really tearing down everything and my, and my values and my peace. So I just went into this idea of reflexive anti-racism, which is like, listen, if Latinos were in power and in Mexico, we are, you know, yeah, Latinos right. are in power um, and we move context, um, the same situations happen. You know, the 
the idea of creating hierarchies of who's better and who's not and, and all that. And then the racism is created and all that. So it's like, okay, so maybe white people are just being humans, you know, in this context. And in Mexico, maybe Latinos are just being humans. And then you look at the old Testament and they were being humans and they did the same exact thing. So I'm like, maybe this is just a human thing and we need to talk about it instead of screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it became like this, let's just find some sort of a way to dialogue peacefully. Um, and then actually value the fact that you're just being a human and you just have to be aware of those behaviors. Um, so more and more I moved into that. And, and then seeing some of the leaders in DEI work also leading into this reflexive anti-racism of processing your emotions and all that. I mean, like, okay, I think this is the way I want to go. And, and it's, and it, I, sometimes I'm fear like, oh, maybe they're going to label me as a centrist, you know, cause I'm just trying to find a middle ground and it's scary, but I think, um, finding a route for this work in the Bible actually, which is we're just a cyclical human mm-hmm. being and that that is racist and xenophobic and it's mm-hmm. just in our nature and what do we do to confront it it's we we stop and listen and talk to each other and so i think it took me a while to get there but now i'm just like yeah. I'm, i don't want to be <laughs> angry so much yeah. um, i want to i want to process it in a healthy way and sometimes that involves going back to my community um or to my home with my partner and with friends and, and, yeah. and to just keep in mind that this is who we are, unfortunately. And, and we just got to stick together sometimes. So yeah, yeah, it's a journey. That's beautiful. No, thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, it's hard. And, and I think one thing that helped me was actually, I, I said sometimes I go back to my community, mm-hmm. but I actually think that when I go back into the Latino community where I was raised, I'm actually more tense than I am here in a predominantly white environment. Mm-hmm. Well, one, because I've been here for so long. Right. But two, um, you know, it's a very Catholic, homophobic community and culture yeah. um, that when I'm there, I can't be myself. So yeah. it's, uh, and I'm always like tense that, oh, I have to hide this. I can't say that. And I can't even present my partner. Um, so th- that again, I'm like, when I'm here, I have to erase this. When I'm here, I have to erase this. And it's like, yeah. I think that, that identity politics, that's where that frustration and anger can come from. But Mm -hmm. I just have to breathe and be like, whew, what's the good in each community? You know, where, what is that? And then how can I navigate those waters so much so that I can one day enter into a dialogue and to about these bigger issues in the community, sorry, community. Um, so yeah, switching between or, Switching between identities. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of chameleon work. Who yeah. this is. So it's hard. Yeah. But it's also, I think it's good and it's necessary and somebody has to do it. And yeah, but I, I'll do better to take care of myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, it also sounds like what you were saying before about your students, like seeing a change in your students and yeah. these young people mm-hmm. being able to have discussions about things that many adults can't face yeah. or don't want to talk about. For sure. I think um, probably a reward for you and something that makes you like see that it's work worth doing and work that you particularly want to do is yeah. seeing the people that you work with and yeah. these young people being able to 
change yes. how they think yeah. and um, have dialogues about important social justice things. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be here for more for the kids. That's that's the one thing is uh, every year I struggle coming back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kids come back and I'm like, oh, that's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get in the classroom and then like I, we're able to talk about things like racism and homophobia and Islamophobia and um, and they are they're able to navigate that, and I think kids are kids are like they're willing to have these conversations um, as long as you validate where they're coming from. Because I think a lot of them are having this idea of like we can't say our opinion if it's divergent from the liberal opinion, um, especially at this school, which is more liberal. Yeah. Um, and we had that last year where it was this like head bump of you know. They didn't want to talk about feminism. They didn't want to accept that the boys, they felt marginalized uh, because now mm-hmm. there was more women on the walls and things like that. And of course, like a part of me was like, well, you know, don't play the victim role. Yeah. Um, but, um, but then I was like, okay, let's, let's see where they're coming from. They, it's a change. And for anybody human, they, like a change is hard. And for yeah. a shift like that to happen and expect them to be like, woke enough to you know i don't like that word but you know to be like (laughs) yeah you know like informed enough to to be like sure let's do it um yeah you can't expect that and i think um we're more and more we're 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 having that that conversation of we're not expecting anything from them except an openness to respect each other instead of like we expect you to accept feminism and this and that and that right. and i think because we've shifted to that like the conversations are happening more and more and yeah um, especially with parents coming in and being like oh my kid said this what do i do um instead of being like shame on your kid it's like right. what can we do yeah so i mean all of what you're saying is and like the reflexive anti-racism mm-hmm. is that we should just be talking yeah. to each other. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> and say that's that how too. You build a community. Yeah, that's yeah. what I always tell the the new faculty and staff. We do an orientation, which is new. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we tell them, you know, for reflexive anti-racism, listen to understand, not to respond. Um, which I tell them it's helpful in this situation and also. If you're in a relationship, you know, (laughs) (laughs) listen to understand what the other person is saying and not just to, to respond to like, to argue back. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's where our community is getting stronger is when we're, when we're not just on the defense about everything, but let's just, let's just talk about it. And, and I know figure it out together because yeah you know lots of terrible things can happen if we're not talking to each other. Yes, Um, and with that, so as a part of the MFA program, we do yeah. summary projects. Yes. And in your summary project, you specifically said something that I, I've been thinking about actually since you said it. And you said it's never too early to talk to kids yes. about social justice mm-hmm. or about racism yeah. or about feminism. Right. Because they, if you're listening to them, if you're allowing a space for them mm-hmm. to feel safe and to express their ideas and like talk through things that they're struggling with, then it's never too early. Like kids are smart. Mm -hmm. They can, they can handle these kinds of conversations. They can, they can. And I thought that was really beautiful, (laughs) (laughs) especially as a person, like I don't, the only kids I personally interact with are my own nephews. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not around kids. So, and I feel like most parents, 
aren't around kids until they have kids. Yeah. And then they're like, how do I? Yes, for how sure. How do I do this? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and even that, um, you know, how do I do this? It's, um, in that moment, they don't want to get anything wrong. And when they do, mm-hmm. we should be like, let's start again instead of like shame on you for not knowing what to do, you know? So, well, thank you for thinking that's beautiful (laughs) and like that it's stuck. Yeah. Kids can definitely have these conversations at a very young age. And in fact, you know, there's this term age appropriate, um, which I struggle with because uh, some families may be like, Oh, my kid is eight year old, eight years old. He can't, I don't want to talk about race um, with him because it's not age appropriate or what's an age appropriate way to do it. Um, and I think it's, it it really, that is a question that's rooted in privilege of like, how much opportunity have you had to silo yourself from these issues? Mm -hmm. Whereas like a kid that's six years old, um, and is, is in the concentration, while calm concentration camps, you know, because his parents were deported and he's not a legal citizen or a documented citizen, um, and is in a cage. Is that age appropriate for them to, you know, right. it's like they're already talking about it and they're living it. Yeah. And meanwhile, you may have parents that are like, oh, we don't want our kid to even know that that's happening, you know, because it's not age appropriate. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it is a word rooted in a lot of privilege. Um, and kids will be having these conversations as young as like four years old, like depending on their context and their culture right. and their um, race. So um so if you introduce these things in a way that's like, let's just have those conversations through even through picture books, mm-hmm. um, through just like everyday conversations, they'll they'll want to talk about it and they'll have questions. And uh, we were in a in a professional development recently with Blink Consulting, and and um, Allison Park said that kids from the age of three, if not one, you know, start noticing difference. Um, mm-hmm. because it's human nature to do so. Like, here's my right. tribe. Here are the, my protectors. Right. And these are not, these are the enemies. Uh, so kids will then say these seemingly racist things. Um, and parents will be like, I never said anything like that. Where are they getting it from? And it's because they, they're processing the world around them and they notice systemic oppression though they can't name it. They notice racial differences and discrimination. And, mm-hmm. um, if that's not talked about, and clarified, then they become internalized. And then we feed into what we have currently, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. Which is what you were saying about the age appropriate thing is that if you say like you're a white family, you don't ever have to talk about race. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And for, I mean, that's a part of like white fragility, like Mm -hmm. what Robin D'Angelo talks Mm -hmm. about is that white people would really prefer not to talk about race Yeah, because it, it's a hard thing for white people to yeah. talk about because there's a lot of guilt yeah. associated with it. Right. But um, if your child is noticing like, yeah. <laughs> how people are different from them, mm-hmm. especially based on skin color, then we should talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we, we should, should talk about, about it about right it. away. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, talk about it. And, and sometimes they'll ask questions that we we think they're asking more there's more to their questions and mm-hmm. they really just need a clarifying thing. Um, and we're like, Oh my gosh, no, you can't. That's, you know, we were like, how do we talk about the big issues? Like, no, she was just asking why her skin color was darker than the other. You know, right. <laughs> And it's like a lot of the times our, our response or parents responses are to be like, Shh, no, no, don't say that. And um, to do that is actually a big faux pas uh, because 
if you, they'll know that that's the adult reaction to talking about race. And so then right. they're like, oh, there's something there. There's something bad. And right. therefore, I sh- I, I'll keep that in. And I'll keep seeing the discrimination and systemic oppression around me yeah. um, and just internalize it. But if you're talking about it, it's like, all right, it's kind of like sexuality. You know, if yeah. you destigmatize sexuality at a young age, yeah. it's like, it's going to be not a big deal when they get to. Right. When they get there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's, yeah, that's, that's the root of the work is just talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, with that and connecting to your presentation again, you, um, as a part of your presentation, you had a group of students yeah. come in and dance mm-hmm. and they were so, I saw people crying. People were crying in the room watching your students dance and they were dancing about feminism and immigration yeah. Yeah. and I can't remember what else, but, um, it, it was awesome to see also to see such a like great demonstration of like the kind of work that you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering where, where did the idea to combine dance and social justice and like dancing about complicated things, where did that come from? Well, I coming to Seattle, I was like, Oh, somebody's already doing it. There's so many like, companies <laughs> doing it, but, um, I swear I didn't steal that idea yeah. from them. <laughs> well, as a kid, um, and it was in middle school, which is probably why I, I love middle school. I'm like, okay, this is a big year or three years that you start figuring out and questioning it. If nobody's there to guide you, you need a tool to do it. Um, and if you don't, then terrible things can happen. (laughs) Um, so for me, you know, I didn't have anybody to talk to about what I was going through. I didn't have the, um, the support. And again, coming from a, from unfortunately a homophobic culture and religion, um, I couldn't talk about what I was processing, which was my sexuality. So I would lock myself in, in my room and I discovered the Britney Spears album in the yes. zone, <laughs> uh, which is like my all time favorite album. And, uh, I just started choreographing and dancing, uh, and, and like really expressing myself. And it was the most liberating thing. Cause in the outside world, I was like this guy who would deepen his voice and try to act like the straight guy over there. And it's like, (laughs) that wasn't me. And so I really became this shy person. I went from extroverted to introverted. Um, but then in my room with the music on, I was just myself. I was like this like flamboyant Britney Spears wannabe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I really credit that to my success in life, or at least to be able to process my sexuality, um, was that I had that outlet that I had that form of expression. Mm -hmm. So as I grew older, I still kept that up. And then I realized, you know, there's something powerful to, to dance that I'm able to just let every emotion out through it and express it. And I think the idea really cemented in the Jesuits when I asked them, you know, when I told them that I prayed and, and through dance, I was like, I think I'm praying through dance. And then a priest, um, was like, yeah, actually you are. So keep doing that. So there was an element of spirituality yes, yeah. in there. Um, and there's stories in the Bible where dancing equals prayer. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, okay, I, I, can, <laughs> I can get into this. And and I did. I started um, just seeing that as prayer. And then I took dance classes. And and then I had the opportunity to teach at Our Lady of Guadalupe in Ferguson, Missouri. And uh, predominantly Latino and Black community of students. And I was like, what if I brought the arts to them? And I'm just going to try it. And I 
did and I, we danced and we created art and it just changed that community and just noticing that that had such an impact yeah. was like from there I was like okay this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to I'm going to teach and do social justice work through the arts um, and then I came here and did the MFA program and I found out that there were so many organizations already doing it I was like yeah guess it's not my unique idea after <laughs> <all>. <laughs> but I, it came from my middle school years yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, because you're teaching primarily middle schoolers here, right? Yes. I, okay. uh, the religion classes are seventh and eighth grade. Um, mm -hmm. And really, that's the, the middle school years are my favorite here to work with. I, I haven't actually taught in the lower school. Oh, um, uh -huh. I, I, I did a little stint last year with Spanish, but it wasn't my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was very different. You know, a lot of hand holding and a lot of like, I can't just say do this. Right. Um, and so I think that that's, that was harder for me, but the middle school kids, like, I think it's a perfect balance of they're just phasing out of their childhood and they're just phasing into their teenage years where they're going to start figuring out who they are and developing their identities. And that just yeah. like meshes well with social justice work and identity development. So I love yeah. it. Middle school. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question about the dance, the, the kids who came to dance yeah. specifically, yeah. are they in what class is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not just pulling them out of their yeah. math classes <laughs> like, and having go. them dance. Yeah. Now, so I, as part of this work, I started the social justice dance club. Uh, okay. and, and that was again, sort of an experiment here. And I was like, great, people are going to think I'm crazy that I'm like <laughs> dancing, but I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So, uh, we meet once, once a week on Fridays and we, um, we talk about a social issue and then we learn a choreography, um, uh, to talk about that issue. And then we perform it at the, at the talent show, uh, And so that, that elicits a response from the community, of course, because mm -hmm. it's an all school event. Um, and then we just keep dancing throughout the year and, and learning more and, and talking more. And so some of these kids, because it's a middle school dance team program, yeah. um, are in my classes. Okay. So what I do notice is we get a lot of seventh and eighth graders joining the, the dance club. Um, not a lot of sixth graders, mm -hmm. uh, but I am teaching seventh and eighth. So I think... Once they get to know me and they're in my classes and all that, then they join. So there's like this cycle of the eighth graders phase out, seventh graders become the eighth graders, and then we get an influx of seventh grade dancers. Yeah. Um, so that's where they're coming from is, is they're interested in wanting to have more conversation around social justice um, based on our classes. And, yeah. And then they come in and we dance and, and it's built such a great community. And this year in my eighth grade religion class, all the girls that are in the dance team are in my religion class. Okay. So it's just like, it builds this amazing like synergy in the room and they're the most respectful because you know, develop that relationship. Right. So <laughs> I didn't realize that it was, I thought that maybe it was part of your religion class. Oh, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah. I love that. It's a voluntary yeah. thing that, that, um, these young people like want to spend more time talking yeah. about it. It's right. voluntary. It's voluntary. Yeah, yeah. Totally optional. We do have, um, I think we're, we're moving more and more away from it, but we do have an integrated social justice dance in the language classes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I come in and, and then instead of doing an, a research assignment, they learn a dance that is from the country they're studying. And then we, um, more of a hip hop or reggaeton. And, and then we talk about, issues of immigration and into these countries or mm -hmm. issues of 
race and things like that. Um, and how this song, usually a song that touches on those subjects, um, yeah. we perform together. Um, and that one's not very optional. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kids love it, but uh, more and more, I, I, it's, it's a question of like, how much is this authentic? You know, if you're forcing mm-hmm. kids to be there. Uh, yeah. so I'm always like, should I do it this year? Should I not? But we okay, we keep doing it. So yeah. I think it's I good. I think it's good. Yeah, I think it's good. It pushes kids out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And kids go up on stage and that are very shy and they're just like out there. Like they really put themselves out there. And it reminds me of me when I was locked in my room. And right. I was like, if I had somebody force me to dance on stage, I would rock it in the middle school years. Right. So I don't know. It, it, it has a good impact. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Based on, well, I'm biased because I grew up dancing too. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I always liked when we did those kinds of things. Right. Right. In, in class. But I think as a kid, I always also liked opportunities where I wasn't like sitting in a seat. Yeah. Like right. Right. Something no. extra. Kids, kids love it. And it's yeah. like, whether they, they love it because they're not, being lectured to for mm-hmm. an hour, um, or whether they really are getting the issue, yeah. um, and the connection to the song and the dance. I think it, it speaks to kids at different levels, which is why we do it every year. Yeah. So I'm like, if it's not, you know, really honing in the issue of immigration, it's probably pushing the shy student who may actually be like holding something in to have fun and to express themselves in a different way. Yeah. Um, and usually from there they bleed into the social justice dance club. So yeah. It always just, <laughs> just get more members. Just get more members. Yeah. Yeah. So then voluntary <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. 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 Um, so how many years have you been doing the social justice dance club? So at Villa, it's this is going to be our third year. Okay, so since you started. Since I started the position. position. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I led it for two years at Our Lady of Guadalupe in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those years, like, I look back and it's kind of cringy because I was like, I was doing Britney Spears with these kids. And they're probably like, who is this Britney Spears yeah. person? <laughs> and, um, but, but those two years... Plus these, I think it's like five years then of, of really dancing with kids yeah, um, and doing social justice work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love, I mean, I asked you very early what the through line is and how it all connects, yeah. but I love that the dance is very much connected and the dance teaching is yeah. connected to the, to the social justice teaching. It, it is. is very much yeah. like. Andre's class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and that's it's it's both a good thing and sometimes I'm like it could be a bad thing just because not in a, like a very negative way. Yeah. Um, but you know these roles they're not like I can't go to another school and be like, do you have a social justice dance education program? You know. Right. Um, so then I feel bad for whoever applies after me to this position where they're <laughs> they're like I don't know I don't have any art background so it's going right. to shift completely yeah um, but it really is kind of this like depends on who's in the position um, and so you go to different schools uh, that are independent schools like us um, and they have social justice programming and that all looks so different but it's so awesome to see yeah. um, how different it can be so that's like my like oh my gosh I hope I'm not doing so much art that the person after me. Is going to be like, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, but I think that that positively thinking they won't because we all have something different to offer and a different perspective. And we all kind of just work network in the same school. So it, once yeah. once DEI director is done, another one from another school goes in and changes the culture. And, you know, it's just yeah. a, it's a work that I'm fortunate that we have such a good community 
of directors um, doing this work in yeah. their own way. And then we can come together and just talk about it. So. Yeah. Do you have like meetings or like organized meetings? Or yeah. Meet with other yeah, we DEI do. Directors? We have um, some get togethers. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some planning meetings for, for um, PASAs, which is, um, oh, I forgot what it actually means. People of color in Seattle. There we go. People of color in <laughs> Seattle and independent schools in Seattle, something like that. Um, and so we get together and talk about what we need to do together. And, and we try to also break the barrier of competition because a lot of, I mean, that's the school system in the independent schools is like, we're marketing so that we can get more kids. Um, and then we're kind of just not talking to each other and yeah. because we don't want anybody to know how we're doing things and it's our secret. And it's, whereas DEI is changing that completely. We're like, come meet and I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing. So maybe you get an idea Yeah. Uh, and, and I, we feed off of each other. And then sometimes we create events with like three schools combined, like the EGO Malua event, which we had last year, mm -hmm. we, it was a four school effort, um, to get her here. Um, and then also just became good friends with people that yeah. are DI directors and we hang out all the time and just like get together, have wine and, and talk and just be normal everyday people. And mm -hmm. then like get to yeah. have people like you, you know, people of color, um, come together and we're just like having a great time. So and maybe that can so. help you. I mean, that can also help anything that you can't like talk to your partner about. Yeah then you have a community of right. educators who yeah. you can vent to and also be yourself with. Yes. And also drink wine and watch whatever show. Yeah. <laughs> watch a show, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a good community. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you can change the that culture of competition, mm -hmm. because really, especially, this is so cheesy, but especially for like, inclusion and anti-racism work mm -hmm. we should all be working together right and right. um like setting up a united front for especially like the kids in seattle yeah yeah no, for sure yeah, yeah i think it's uh a lot of the times in the past especially when this work was starting a lot of the directors felt um isolated in their silos like i'm the only person of color and my school is the only one that has one in, within the you know vicinity of here yeah. or um nobody's talking to each other and and I think we're making a conscious effort to not have that be the norm. So Good. we're just, we're just always celebrating things together. And we're actually planning um, the people of color conference, which is a big independent school event. Um, and it's held throughout the United States, the national event. And this year it's in Seattle. Um, and they, it's, it's a three day event with speakers that are amazing. And, um, and it's specifically tailored for educators of color and, um, some white allies can also join in there. And it's, it's being planned by this community. Um, I haven't been able to make a lot of the meetings cause I teach, but yeah. they're doing an amazing job. And, and then just the meetings that I've had with them, you know, they're really focusing on social justice arts education, which I'm like, yes, yes. it's becoming like. <laughs> It's kind of a staple of the Northwest, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so we're really wanting to bring organizations in, um, and I think maybe even Creative Justice or I, the, the TAP, TAP Connection, Northwest TAP is going to be a part of it. Oh, awesome. Um, all that, you know, working together Yeah. as one big city. When is that? Um, I think it's at the end of November. Okay, great. Yeah, and it happens every end of November. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that it'll be here. Uh, the theme is 1619 to 2019, which is, you know, slavery and the, the history of that. And, and then just bringing that with a tech 
lens on it. Oh, it's okay. it's uh, yeah, it's it's very different the way they- <laughs> it's, very <Seattle. laughs> it's very Seattle. Yeah, they wanted to have like a Seattle element, so it's like the future, but mm-hmm. remembering the past and then bringing tech elements to it, and so. Cool. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, that it's here. yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. I'll make sure to check it out. Yeah. Um. We, so we touched on it a little bit, but what is your favorite thing about teaching middle schoolers? Mm, what is my favorite thing about teaching middle schoolers? Huh. That's a, that's the hardest question out of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, our our middle school director James, which I talked about a little bit, he's he has on on the actual website for Villa, he says, you know, if you are deciding to work with middle schoolers, there's probably something wrong with you. you know, something's <laughs> not a hundred percent right. Um, because it does take some insanity, you know, some like you really have to be brave and you have to be out of your comfort zone to work with these kids. Um, but I think that's one of my favorite things about them is that, uh, you could be scared or a little intimidated by them, but in fact, they're more intimidated by you. Um, and they, and not in like a bad way, but they're really looking for somebody to talk to. They're really looking for somebody to navigate tough conversations with and developmental questions, um, about identity and, and just themselves. And, um, if you give that to them, they, they're very grateful, you know, they, uh, they will become an ally. They'll become your best friend. Um, in the not in a weird way but just right. like <laughs> but no. they'll just really look up to you yeah. and 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 just like ha- having that opportunity to, to walk with something in such a essential stage in their life that could really change them for the rest of their lives i think that's what i like most about middle school is that many times we think they don't know what they're talking about or that you know that they don't really have the capacity to have mature conversations but if you guide them through that and you actually enter these conversations with them they absolutely have the capacity to do that Um, and then if you teach them that skill like it'll change how the world works so so at like even just being in my religion class we were having a whole socratic seminar on like the existence of god and we were getting very philosophical and they were actually able to navigate that And, and some of them had some silly questions um but I think they're clarify like if you clarify them, which we talked about, then they're like, oh, here's a misunderstanding I had. Like one of the questions was, why is God homophobic? Why does God hate gay people? And uh, you know, maybe a kid put that as a joke, right? Um, but instead of being like, oh my gosh, we don't ask those kinds of questions, I was like, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this specific question. You know, mm-hmm. pulling it out specifically intentionally and. Kids were like, oh, we can talk about that. And I was like, of course. So why do you think that? Yeah. Um, and then we just concluded, like, it's religion, not God, you know? And so having that conversation together, that religion could be a cause for homophobia, not necessarily God, you yeah. know, is like something that maybe shattered the perceptions of a kid in there that right. was like, oh, I didn't even know about that. Um, so they have these misunderstandings that can cause us to feel uncomfortable. But yeah. if you just go in without even like yeah. flinching, they're just like, oh, okay, I oh, guess we okay. can have this conversation. Oh. Um, so that's the key. If you ever teach middle school is never flinch, never, ever yeah. like show any like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I feel frazzled. It's like, okay, great. Get out of my room if you're going to be rude, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, or if you're going to say anything to make it constructive, you know. And um, and I think even in when they do say 
terrible things or like yeah. that. Um, there's there's a desire to to have a conversation somewhere in there, and it's about like trying to find that desire. And be like, all right, well, you just said this terrible thing. Like, I'm gonna rephrase it. Uh, but I'm, I think what you're trying to get at is this, do you want to talk about this? You know, and, um, it's a fun challenge and I think it's a necessary challenge. Um, yeah. somebody has to do it. Somebody so has I love to middle do it. Schoolers. I'm yeah. scared. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be, don't be there. They are not scary. Once you get used to them, yeah. I'm scared of, of high schoolers, Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I don't know. That's just my own issue of like having a bad high school experience. But, yeah. um, and I'm also scared of elementary school students. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I can do that. Um, everybody has a, their own gift to work with a certain age group. So yeah, I got lucky with middle. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so funny that your director is even like, I'm crazy for doing this. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, someone has to do Somebody it. Somebody has to do it. Yeah. yeah. You just have to like like it and and you know, it's it's they they we can enter into these conversations but they're not at like the the academic level like that you'd expect a high school or college student to be. So yeah. it's like they're still struggling and they're still trying to like do normal, normal human things. Right. <laughs> so when you might be intimidated, you're like, Oh, you still don't know how to spell, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you're, I'm still teaching you, you know, you're not yeah. teaching me, but they do teach you as well. So I don't know. It's, it's such a great year. It's the great three years of middle school that yeah. are usually seen as the awful, awkward years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm remembering that I was a turd. Yeah. In middle school. Yeah. Which is, that I was, scared or yeah because that's usually is that's what it is is we might have been turds we might have been these terrible people but it's because we were scared and we didn't have no idea who we were and yeah whoever actually sat down and talked to you like about these things and been like tell me why you're frustrated and why are you know let's and treat you like a like a human being with yeah with reason and and will and everything um then you're like oh they actually take me seriously um, then you make a connection and then you won't be a turd to that person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Think of we'll Mr. Rogers. Would you ever be a turd to Mr. Rogers? No. No. Because <laughs> he cares about you. Because <laughs> <laughs> he cares about you. <laughs> um, so with uh, talking about treating treating middle schoolers as humans yeah. and getting getting like truly the best out of them mm-hmm. and working through these things with them, um, talking specifically about the social justice dancing. Yeah. Um, can you talk about your own like artistic process in creating what I assume are collaborative works yeah. with these young people? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think that's one thing I'm working on. My research said in what I read, um, it basically indicated that a collaborative effort is the best approach and, and letting kids choreograph things on their own and like working with a choreographer for the sake of the club. It's actually hard to do a collaborative um, effort and as well as like letting them choreograph. Um, Maybe it's half like, I don't, I haven't done that before. Yeah. And half like we don't have enough time kind of a thing because we only have like 20 minutes at recess um, and then it's like done. And then the next week, another 20 minutes. Um, and then we're trying to choreograph like a five minute piece. So, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I, that's one thing that I struggled with and I want to do a better job of is a collaboration, but the way it works right now is, um, I pick a song 
that has to do with a theme that we're going to talk about. We talk about it the first class. Um, we always go back to it. And then like literally an hour before I go down and teach it, I come up with short phrases here in my office and I'm just dancing away. <laughs> and then I go down and I teach it to them, you know, yeah. and then they, then it's their job to embody the emotion and the, the story behind the dance. Um, and so, sometimes like, I'll be like, what can I do here? Is this working? Should we change the count? Um, and they're like, yeah, no, that count doesn't feel right. And I'll be like, okay, what do you think if we did this and this? So in that sense, it's collaborative and mm -hmm. that we're working together to change something that's already made by me. Um, but I would like to have more time for them to just choreograph something on their own. Uh, but when you have a group of 20 and you're asking like groups of five to choreograph, you know, and then come together and then learn, I'm just like, yeah. Oof, some of them aren't even friends, you know, <laughs> or like yeah. they come from different groups. Um, but maybe that's part of it. And I think I'm willing to challenge myself more and more this year. Um, and I did that. I, I challenged myself in the summer camp. I thought it was just a hip hop one, but I came to class not knowing what we were going to do. And I was like, no, don't get nervous. Don't get anxious. Like I have a friend, Noel Price, who is, uh, oh, yeah, she's, she's the great. modern dancer and, um, she comes to Villa to teach as well. Modern dance, social oh, justice, cool. modern dance. Um, and she's like, I just come with some moves and then I ask them to choreograph because they, they have knowledge. Uh, and so again, assuming that they're adults, that they can do things. And yeah. I did, I was like, all right, now you choreograph the next 15 counts, you know? And then they did, they did it in groups. And I was like, okay, maybe I can bring this to the club. That's so, cool. um, that's the way it's been. And that's the change I can see happening. This yeah. Year. yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you only had 20 minute chunks. Yeah. With 20 kids. With 20 kids. Yeah. That's and it's, a lot. it's a lot to do. And then, um, yeah. And sometimes I also kind of don't make them too complicated, the dances, just because we don't have so much time to perfect, to get them crisp that I'm like, let's just get a short dance. That's not too difficult. Yeah. And then, you know, perform that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the people who participate in the, in the dance club, how many of them dance outside of, mm, that's outside a good question. of school? Yeah. I think, um, from the ones that were at the performance, I think there was like, were there like 12 kids that went to the, I think so. something like that. Yeah. I, I would say maybe four of them were professional dancers. They have some professional background in dance. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not a lot of them. Some yeah. of them don't even like to dance. I had a student that was like, I actually don't like to dance, but I like this safe space. I like to be here. Mm -hmm. um, and they were struggling with their sexuality and, and all that. And so they thanked me. They were just like, thank you for creating this space where I could just be myself um, and make a fool out of myself sometimes, but to do it confidently. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a huge, you know, uptick of students who have no background in dance and, um, they do it. That's they amazing. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So it's always like, I, I, I don't like to do the thing where I'm like, okay, front row is the best dancers back row is right. so, um, which sometimes you have to do for some performances, but I like to mix and match and like get people to, to sometimes who may not feel comfortable, but are willing to, to get up in the center and do something. And so, yeah, yeah. mixed bag, mixed bag. I wouldn't have guessed that yeah. from seeing the group who came. Yeah. Because they're they were all so great. They were all great, yeah. yeah. A lot of them have been in this dance club for the three years. Like the eighth graders had been in this in sixth grade. Um yeah. and the 
the seventh graders there were in their seventh and sorry, sixth and seventh grade. And now this is their third year in the club. So they get, they have that exposure to dance and they kind of know some rhythm and the the way that beats work that they're able to just make it work. And it's basically like taking a free dance class yeah yeah, yeah. So they, with a professional they can do it yeah. a semi-professional i don't know i'm getting too old <laughs> well that's so cool. yeah that's so cool i love that i love that you're um because arts education it seems like a lot of people think that dance is like the most inaccessible yeah and partially i mean it's expensive to take dance classes mm-hmm. and parents often i imagine don't want to pay for that yeah so to get free dance education yeah. as a part of their Curriculum school, school, yeah, yeah, that is, I think that's really wonderful. It's yeah, it's 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 wonderful. We and have I'm biased because I'm a dancer. Because you have a you have a but, dance background, but still, yeah. No, but I mean, like when we do the all all middle school language stuff, they um we have like forty kids up there that want to do it, and it's a full stage. We even had last year we had to do both stage and the two two rows in the front or three rows in the front of students uh, because of how many kids that they wanted to do it. it's just to become a cultural expectation yeah you dance yeah. in middle school this is what i've actually heard some kids say in middle school oh. you dance when they bring the fifth graders up um and in the lower school i started a club last year which is the multicultural dance club and i'm not necessarily sure i'm happy with that title and that it's just like the kids are so young and um to go in there and be like we're gonna study the history of this country, you know, and without it being tied to the curricula, it's more fun. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of re-envisioning that for next year. And, um, yeah, like saying, actually, we don't have to mask it as like multicultural, but it could be like a social justice dance club for kids, not just like we're going to dance, um, for fun, uh, which is both good and bad, but I struggle with that one. But we're, we're getting them started earlier. Um, so that's a three through fifth grade. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think you can call it social justice. Our whole conversation <laughs> has been about how I know. people can handle things. I know, right, yeah. right. No, that's the, and that's the thing is like I don't I don't work. It's like the parents who have never done that before. I like my forte isn't the lower school. Yeah. Uh, but I I want to I'm going in there more and more um, as time goes on. Uh, so like this year, I'm like, okay, we're going to shift it to maybe a, a dance club that focuses on climate change, you know, on, oh, on these sure. bigger issues. Um, because if you're like today, we're going to learn Bollywood today, we're going to do that. And then like, it just feels like on the line of cultural appropriation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm always like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. So it's, it's, yeah. it's good to know that, you know, you got to think about things critically as you're creating them and so i really thought critically about this one and we'll see what it looks like next year yeah yeah it's still working still working brown one's a work in progress yeah Yeah. i'm gonna look at my research yeah (laughs) um you've mentioned research a couple times what kind of resources do you use for who like who are you reading yeah um well in terms of the research i did for for the mfa um it was all it was all from you know our website our trustee what's it called the one from the SU online the library oh um, <laughs> JSTOR there you go yeah, JSTOR okay, yeah. yeah yeah it's all you know JSTOR articles um, yeah. uh, I I wish I had the sheet so I can show you but um, not only just that research that research more informs the arts education side of it mm-hmm. but we do a lot of professional development here which is one of the amazing things of this school so like I said we went to a, a 
this DEI training called yeah. uh, Blink Consulting by Allison Park. Um, we had E.G. Oma here. We read, so you want to talk about race as a community. I'd say um, I have some books here on my shelf, too. Just get the Jesus Band-Aids out of the way that my <laughs> students give me. Um, Blind Spot, um, uh, some culturally responsive teaching and all that. So getting a lot of that in there, but also of, like, the reading that you may have that everybody knows about, you know, White Fragility and all that, which is something yeah. on here. Oh, there it is, Robin D'Angelo. Um, <laughs> but also some, like, spirituality and Catholic um, literature. James Martin's book on building bridges, um, how the Catholic Church can be more respectful toward the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a mix of spiritual, Catholic, uh, what's in right now, uh, the research that's more academic. um, And then testimonies from students like that's a big thing in decolonized methodologies methodologies that we learned in Roxy's class. Right. Um, Just talking to the students and and asking them, you know, is this working? What's not working? What can you do? And, um, and so I've altered some things just in my conversations with them. Like, yeah, I know a lot of them in terms of like, are you getting social justice issues more through dance? Like so far, the, the data that I've collected has been like a 70, 75, 80% response. Like, yes, okay. but not really. But then um, when it comes to like, did you feel like you were able to touch an issue that you wouldn't? Then they're like 100% yes. Yeah. Um, so seeing like maybe I need to do this a little better maybe I need to have more exposure to something so I'm saying like yeah the students are really the key in driving that work and then when I do it with faculty the faculty are the ones driving that work and right. and lived experiences at the school yeah so yeah it's a mixed bag it's a mixed bag of what I'm, I'm yeah. using and there's so many great online resources too yeah so it's like <laughs> yeah I love that you're using the community that you have here yeah you to, have to you have to, to further your work for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if I were at a predominantly Latino school, this work would look very different. Yeah. Um, it would be more about the cultural dances and, and how we can actually do that in a way that's not appropriating. And, um, and you can do that at that school more and then talk about issues tied to them. Um, at a black school, you know, how does that look? Very different from here. Yeah. Uh, so it's based on what the community needs and their responses to the work. And, you know, I've had to change some things here so that it can work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds, like, Sounds like it. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, you, you have to, you have to keep yourself humble and not be like, I have the answer to everything and, and I right. can solve the world issues through dance. You know, it's yeah. like sometimes people actually don't think it's an effective tool and it won't be effective for them. Um, but in the end, it's a tool uh, yeah. that that's what I want to get across is that 70% it helps, but the other 30% doesn't. So let's keep it, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's <Yeah>. a majority. <laughs> right. It's not um, universal. It's not but... universal, but then also like having other things in there, not just dance and art, um, which when you saw around, we also do painting and like we do poetry, reading, spoken word. Yeah. Um, and then also like good old lectures and, and speakers coming into the school. Right. Um, and I'd say I also have an amazing, diversity and inclusion committee of parents on the board. Mm -hmm. Um, and they help me bring in speakers, 
and they also help me um, say, you know, the community, I think parent community needs this. And I think our kids need this. Um, and then consultation with them, faculty, staff and admin and everything. Yeah. Um, but like we have the UW lectures. One of the parents is in charge of that. That's on the DNI committee. Oh, so cool. if we think a, a person going to the lecture, a speaker at the lecture is great for our community, she can bring them in. Yeah. Them here to the like community. So, like Karamo Brown. Yeah. yeah. And you can take one. Yeah. I'm going to take one. Take this. one. Yeah. yeah. It's, most of them are free. Karamo yeah. is five bucks, but, um, <laughs> you can spare $5 right, for to Karamo. see Karamo. Yeah. So, uh, we just have a great community. Uh, yeah. we all know we're not there yet. Uh, but I think that's the important thing is that we're like, yeah, we got way, a long way to go. Maybe yeah. we're not doing some things right, but at least we're doing something, um, instead of getting stuck in fear. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah. That's a good, I think that's a good end spot. All right. Um, I know. I've been talking there, your ear off. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, this is what I was here for. Okay. Um, is there anything that you, um, that we need wrapping up? Anything that we touched on that you would like to, um, hmm. wrap up, tie up before we say goodbye? I don't think so. I think we okay. had a great conversation. I think and so. We think covered we ended a lot. On a good note. Yeah, Karamo. <laughs> Do Karamo and um, don't let fear stop you in yeah. this work. And yeah. you know, it's better to do something than to not do nothing at all. And um, and always um, ask your community yeah. uh, what they need. I think I have some a visitor I think you knocking. Do too. So okay, we'll perfect. say bye. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank Andy. you, Maris. I appreciate awesome. it. Yeah. The Sharpest Knives podcast is created, edited, and produced by me, Maris Antolin, and partially supported by the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash sharpestknivespodcast, or find us on Instagram at sharpestknivespodcast. And you can follow along and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sharpestknivespodcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and your questions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at sharpestknivespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.